are listening to WRBH Reading Radio for the Blind. This is the Public Affairs Show. I am former Chief Meteorologist Carla Redondo from Channel 4. I am now a certified orientation and mobility specialist. I walk with a white cane. I have retinitis pigmentosis. On today's episode of the Public Affairs Show, we're going to learn about different eye conditions and health care for your eyes. With me today is Dr. Lena Aldujeli, an ophthalmologist. And Dr. Lena, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you for having me. First off, before we begin and dive into all the information, tell us a little bit about yourself, your bio, your history, where you're at, and your official title. So I'm... Um uh, I went to medical school at LSU. So, an opth- so first of all, I'm an ophthalmologist. An ophthalmologist goes to medical school. I went to medical school at LSU in New Orleans. Following medical school, I did a four-year residency also at LSU. And then I did a one-year fellowship in glaucoma at Tulane. Um, and so I mostly do glaucoma and I also do cataract surgery and some comprehensive ophthalmology. Currently, I'm working at New Orleans Eye Specialist. Um, they have two locations, one uptown on um, right by Toro um, at 3434 Britannia Street, and then one on Homa Boulevard in Metairie. Um, and then I see patients of all ages. Okay. And we'll ask for that contact and information a couple of more times in the show so okay. that people can grab a pencil and paper or have somebody write it down for you. Um, and I know a lot of our listeners are visually impaired or with no vision at all. So a lot of this may be good information for them. First off, my question is, tell us, tell everyone, what is the difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist? So what I started off with is as an ophthalmologist, we go to medical school. So we do four years after college, we do four years of medical school, then four years of a residency, and then plus or minus a fellowship, depending on your further training. An optometrist is, uh, they treat, they mostly are the ones that do glasses and contact lenses, some treatment of eye disease, but most eye diseases are treated by an an ophthalmologist, which are the ones that go to medical school. And then ophthalmologists are the ones that do surgery of the eye and surgical treatment of the eye. So an optometrist training is they go to undergrad for four years and then they go to optometry school to four years. So they don't do medical school. They do a different type of school. So if somebody has a problem with their eye or something going on, you want to make sure you go to an ophthalmologist, a doctor that will dilate your eyes because because they're going to look inside your eye and not just at the surface. Yes, exactly. So if you have a family history of an eye disease or if you're concerned about an eye disease, you should go see an ophthalmologist because that's who treats eye disease and that's who can do surgical treatment of an eye disease. An optometrist is very useful for glasses and contact lens checking. Now, if somebody doesn't know they have something going on with their eyes... What age should somebody go get a, a check from an ophthalmologist, an adult or kids? When, when should you start making sure that your eye is healthy? Because a lot of times we may not know something's going on in the inside of the eye. Yeah, no, you and a lot of people won't know because a lot of eye diseases don't present with vision changes. They present with lo- like different type of progressive loss of vision that affects your peripheral vision, which you wouldn't notice. So the American Academy of Ophthalmology recommends at the age of 40, then everybody go gets a dilated eye exam. So that means they do put drops in your eyes to dilate your eyes and look into the back part of your eye. And this is to screen to make sure there is no eye disease going on that you might not be aware of. If there is a family history of certain eye diseases like glaucoma, um, or you have hypertension or di- diabetes, you should get screened earlier, usually around 35 if you have a family history of glaucoma. And then hypertension and diabetes, within a year of being diagnosed with those, you should get an eye screening. 
And now for our children, it's a little different. So when a baby is born between the first year of life, the pediatrician is checking their eyes to make sure there's no misalignment and to make sure that there's not. So sometimes a baby can be born with a cataract. So to make sure there's not a cataract in their eye, they're checking that every visit. And then between the age of three to five, the American Academy of Ophthalmology recommends they get an eye screening. This eye screening can be done through school, the pediatrician's office, or going to see a pediatric ophthalmologist. So if someone out there has no vision at all, and, you know, they may be thinking, what's the point? I can't see. They should still continue to get their eyes examined. Yeah, they should definitely still get their eyes examined because there's other things that can happen within your eyes, even though you can't see anymore. That could affect the rest of your body. Like you can get a, a tumor in your eye that you don't realize is there and it could spread to the rest of your body. So, yes, you still should get an eye exam, even if you can't see. What I found amazing when I was training and studying to become a, a certified orientation and mobility specialist, I took an eye anatomy class. And I think we talked about mm-hmm. this over the phone is that I found it fascinating to know all the different parts of the eyes, what they do, how they work with each other. And then that's only the first part of it. The image that the eye sees, the retina sees, has to go through that optic nerve to the brain. brain. So even though your eyes could be perfectly healthy, if that pathway, that optic nerve is damaged, you still can't see. Yeah, so if you have a stroke or sometimes people with multiple sclerosis, they'll have damage to those pathways. So if that damage happens, yeah, you the signal can't get to the eye. Well, the signal can't get from the brain to the eye to allow you to see. So then that does prevent you from seeing. I found that all fascinating when I had to di- uh, dissect an eye, a goat's yeah. eye, you know, oh, to see awesome. all the parts inside. I was like, wow, this is so cool. I was surprised when I always heard about your lens I thought it was more like a contact lens type oh, no, shape than it's... An actual, it looks like, an, um, not like a contact lens at all. It yeah, looks like... Like a, a little mar- marble or a, like a elongated marble or, or something. Like a sphere almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I found that because I've had cataract surgery before, so I now understood what was going on with my lens when I started dissecting that, that eye. So... It's amazing, the the eye. Oh, the eye is really amazing, how it functions perfectly to bring vision into your eye and how all the parts work together. And the one thing patients don't understand is a damage to one part will affect your ability to see because each part has to be functioning correctly for your ability to see. I think what I find uh, fascinating while I'm training clients out on the streets is that many of us don't look like we're visually impaired. Our eyes look perfectly fine. And it's it's amazing the perception that the public has of us. And if we're walking with a white cane, well, you can see or you're not blind. But the eye is amazing because it can look perfectly fine but not work at all. Yeah, exactly. And that's usually when you're having damage from in the retina, the glaucoma, like or your the nerve the glaucoma is a nerve damage. So it can be your nerve damage, your retina damage, and you can't tell because the front surface of your eye looks completely normal. So people can't tell that you, you're unable to see. And a lot of people who haven't been able to see for years learn how to cope with it. And they learn how to function where you really can't tell that they can't see because they've learned to uh, function with their new vision status. And I'm sure many of the patients you see that are starting or going through vision loss we talk about the stages of grief they go through. Yeah. So you have 
every client, every patient is very different in where they're at with their vision loss. Yeah, it's um, so, you know, the ones that have the easiest time dealing with vision loss are the ones that are kind of born without vision. You know, the little kids that from the all they've known is not really being able to see those ones usually have no grief because they've, that's all they've ever known. The ones, the it's the adults that have a really hard time with the vision loss or, you know, sometimes you won't see people lose their vision because of trauma, like just various traumas you can see in this area, like a gunshot wound to the eye, being stabbed in the eye. Those people have a very hard time with the sudden loss of their vision. And there is grief stages with it. It's, you know, losing vision is equivocal to losing a limb, like, you know, losing a hand, losing an arm, a leg. It's the same grief process. It's learning how to cope and learning, understanding that it's not the end, but you have to learn how to live with this new reality. Now, what, um, of all the eye conditions, what are the leading causes? What, what conditions are the leading causes that go to blindness? So the most common cause of reversible blindness is a cataract. Um, and a cataract is clouding of your natural lens. It is a reversible cause, meaning once you have a cataract surgery, you should be able to see again. Now, in the United States, most people don't let their cataracts get too bad, but where it's a good significant loss of vision. Um, in developing countries, people, when there's not as good access to medicine, it does get to where the their vision gets pretty bad before they have cataract surgery. Now, irreversible cause in the United States, the most common cause of irreversible loss of vision is probably macular degeneration. Then second would probably be glaucoma and then diabetic retinopathy. Um, and we can go through each one of those diseases. And so... Do you want to start with macular degeneration? Okay. So macular degeneration is called age-related macular degeneration. So it happens when you're older. Um, It's more common in uh, people with light skin, light-colored eyes, and uh, smoking. having a smoking history puts you at a higher risk for it. And then there is a strong family history of it. And what it is is it's degeneration of your central vision area, your macula. And that central vision area just kind of starts... Uh, not functioning and degenerating and not um, uh, allowing vision to come in as well. So your the way your eye works is the vision is signaled in through your nerve, but your central area of vision is your macula. So if you lose your macula, you don't see as well. You don't see fine, like fine uh, things as well. You can see in your periphery, but you'll never see as well as what we call 2020 vision. And so there's different types of macular degeneration. There's dry macular degeneration, which means you have these little um, defects in your macula, but usually you don't end up with vision loss. You just kind of might have like a little bit of breaks in your fine vision. And then there's wet macular degeneration where that one is leads to bleeding in your eye. Um, the most common cause of vision loss from macular degeneration is wet macular degeneration. And those usually you end up seeing a retina doctor for and getting injections in your eye to help progress the bleeding. Um, The other thing with macular degeneration is taking eye vitamins actually do help prevent it from happening if you have a strong family history and you have early signs of it. Now, talk about glaucoma. My dad has glaucoma. He takes drops and his pressure's checked all the time. So talk more about glaucoma since that's one of your specialties and explain, you know, what are the signs and what can be done for that? So glaucoma is damage to the nerve of your eye, which I mentioned briefly earlier. The nerve of your eyes, like I said earlier, was what brings vision into your eye. So once that's damaged, you're you can't really get vision into your eye anymore. Um, what glaucoma does is it, the thought, the, what the, it, the, I guess the thought is, is that your eye pressure goes up. 
causing damage to that nerve. And it causes loss of your peripheral vision. So most people don't notice they're getting glaucoma damage um, because you don't realize you're losing your peripheral vision until it's too late. And a lot of times people will come in and they've already lost a significant amount of vision and they have just a small central island left of vision um, because of how the damage happens. It just takes out your side vision first and then your central last. So by the, when you come into the doctor's office, depending on how bad the damage is, the first line of treatment is usually drops to help lower your eye pressure because that's the one target that they know helps with glaucoma is lowering your eye pressure. Um, and then the, what the drops are doing is helping. Um, so with glaucoma, the thought of why the eye pressure is going up is the drainage system of your eye is not working well. And so there's almost kind of thinking of it like a plumbing problem, like there's a backup of fluid. So the drops help the fluid go out a different pathway. And then if the drops don't work, there's a laser treatment you can do that also helps in that same thing, opening up the pathway. And then the last option would be surgery, where you essentially create a new drainage system for the fluid to get out of your eye. Okay. Um, let's talk about um, uh, when someone has diabetes. That's I know when I've talked to people I, on the streets, when I hear they have diabetes, I say, Get your eyes checked. Always make sure your eyes are checked because blindness is one of the results of having diabetes. Yeah. So diabetic retinopathy is um, what um, is when you have damage to your eyes from diabetic eye, dis diabetic eye disease. So what it is is diabetes affects the small blood vessels in your body. So that's why di people that are diabetic can get numbness and tingling in their feet and their hands. They have kidney issues because those are all small blood vessels. So your eyes is... A bunch of small blood vessels too. So it affects your small blood vessels and it causes the blood vessels not to work as well. So your eyes response to it is it tries to make new blood vessels and those new blood vessels become leaky and then you get bleeding in your eye. Um, early diabetic retinopathy is usually treated by just watching it and controlling your blood sugar. So the better controlled your blood sugar is, the more, less likely you are going to be to develop diabetic retinopathy and the better controlled your diabetic retinopathy is. Once you get bleeding in the eye, though, um, it becomes harder to treat it. Even if you control your sugar, once the disease process has started, it gets harder to treat it. And that's when people start doing laser treatments for it, um, injections in their eye, and then last stage would be surgery. And then diabetic retinopathy can cause a bunch of issues. It can cause a, a different type of glaucoma to form. It can cause a different type of retinal detachment to happen. Um, and then it can... The biggest thing is it can cause bleeding in the eye. And all these issues are secondary to the bleeding in the eye. So much. Yeah, so, I know. So many things with the eyes. Um, I can talk about, you know, with myself, detached retinas, cataracts, and RP. So I, I'm understanding a lot of what you're talking about yeah. because I've gone through it now. Let's talk a little bit about the retina detachments. Uh, you know, when the retina is the thin tissue layer at the back of the, the eye, eye that yeah. takes a signal. Talk, talk about the detachments or the tears. So, yeah, your retina is the back layer of your eye, and it's your macula is part of your retina. So when you talk about macular degeneration, that is part of your retina. And so, like we said, it's what helps bring the, uh, send the signals to the brain. So what a, retin what a retinal detachment is, 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 as it sounds, it's a detachment of that retina tissue. The most, the more common type of retinal detachment is what you had, which is a retogenous retinal detachment. That is probably happens in less than 10% of the population. Risk factors of it happening is if you're nearsighted. The more nearsighted you are, the more 
there's, I shouldn't say the more likely, there's just a higher chance of you getting a retinal detachment. So if your uh, glasses prescription or contact lens prescription is like a negative six or higher, you should be going into seeing an ophthalmologist yearly and getting a dilated exam to make sure there's no signs of a retinal break tear that can eventually lead to a retinal detachment. Um, so with a retinal detachment, what happens when it happens is you'll sometimes see a little floaters or flashes of light, like a lot of flashes of light, and then you feel like a shadow is coming down over your eye. And when you see that happening, you should immediately go to somebody that like an either the emergency room where there is an ophthalmologist available or to see an ophthalmologist and get your eyes dilated to see what's going on. And how would you fix or correct. So that. depending on what it is, if it's our if it's a full detachment, it's a surgical repair and that's a retina doctor would do that. If it's a break or a tear and there's it still hasn't fully detached, they'll do a laser in clinic for it. So a laser surgery in clinic. And how bad will the vision be after something like that? Can it be back to normal or is there still some loss of vision depending on how big a tear or total detachment? It depends on how the extent of the damage is. So if it's a really big detachment and your macula, like I said, that central vision area has detached off, visual prognosis goes down a lot. Um, if the macula is still on um, when the attachment happens, the visual prognosis can go up quite a bit. Um, I mean, I've seen patients who've had what we call a MAC-ON detachment, which means the macula has not fully detached yet, and they've gotten vision back to 2020. Um, but then people, once the macula is off, it's really hard because once that central vision area is damaged, it's really hard to get full vision back. Then that, that may be my case because my right eye, I was told, totally detached. But my right eye is my good eye. I can see 2020 out of my right eye. So Probably, as you mentioned, the central part of my retina was the only part that didn't, didn't detach. Yeah, yeah, probably is what happened, yeah. Because my left eye with the two tears, I'm seeing 2040 out of that eye. That's so good, though. Yeah, with so the, that's so good for a retinal detachment, I'm, after a retinal detachment. I'm fortunate, fortunate, but now with the RP, I only have a small central vision, so it's yeah. a very small hole that I'm seeing through, but at least I can see. At least you can see, yeah. I can that's see the, clearly yeah. that I can still maneuver around, especially with my cane. Um why is it that people are just reluctant to want to get an eye exam? They say, oh, my eyes are fine. I can see. I don't need to go to an eye doctor. Why Why do we have that kind of mentality? I think uh, people don't like being dilated. It's a big thing. And I feel like when they go to an eye doctor, the appointments tend to be not I mean, sometimes they can be quick if you're not getting dilated. But, you know, the appointments are probably going to take an hour because you have to get dilated. You have to get your vision checked. They just take longer than a normal eye doctor appointment. But I think the big thing is people don't like being dilated because it does, um, once you're dilated, um, you your near vision is blurry for about six I would say four to eight hours afterwards, depending on the color of your eyes and how quick your body reverses it. So people feel like it's inconvenient, and I think that's the biggest reason. And then a lot of times people just have a fear of somebody touching their eyes, and so that's the other thing. A lot of people get really scared when someone comes near their eye, and so I think that's where the fear comes of going to an eye doctor. Well, I can tell people this by firsthand is that I was shocked and amazed that through all my surgeries and you know, injections, you know, I didn't feel anything, you know, it was no pain, whether it was numbed or what, but it's, it does, it's not painful when your eyes are being examined. It's just the brightness, the brightness of yeah. the light being 
shown into your eye. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. is painful. Yeah, and that's the thing a lot of people also don't like is the bright lights that are being shined into your eye and just having to sit there and look in one spot the whole time, you know, looking in a certain spot and staying still. Um, I think that's a big reason people just don't like going to the eye doctor. Right. Now, you talked uh, briefly about being nearsighted, retina detachments are a possibility. Yeah. What about farsighted? If you're farsighted, there's anything that might somebody be looking for if you're farsighted? So um, nearsighted people, your eyes tend to be long, and that's why you have an increased risk of a retinal detachment. Like, and Carl uh, knows this from his experience. Your retina gets thinned out when your eyes are long. So that's why you have a higher risk of retinal detachment. So farsighted people, their eyes tend to be short. And so what happens with them is they're at a higher risk of having an acute angle closure attack, like acute angle closure glaucoma attack happening. And the reason is of that is because their eye is short, the whole front part of the eye, like your lens, your iris, and the angle drainage system of your eye kind of get more crowded. And as you get older and your cataract becomes more dense, it kind of crowds up that area more. So your natural lens is your what becomes a cataract. And as that becomes more dense, it crowds that angle and it can lead to what we call an acute angle closure attack. And what that is, is when your drainage system completely gets closed off. And it's usually because your iris gets pushed up on it and completely closes it off to where the fluid just gets build, built up behind your iris. And then your eye pressure just skyrockets up really high and you get a headache, nausea, vomiting, and your vision goes really blurry. It's not a very common thing to happen, but it's more likely to happen in somebody that's farsighted. Way more common to happen in somebody farsighted than nearsighted. Okay. Um, what is the part of your job you love the most? So um, I'm, like I said, I d I'm a glaucoma specialist. So I deal with a lot of glaucoma patients. And because I'm a glaucoma specialist, I deal with a lot of people with very severe glaucoma. I think my favorite part is my patients. They're the most grateful people. They're happy just to be seeing anything. And a lot of them are just happy that they are retaining the vision they have. And honestly, even the ones that end up losing their vision are still not they're sad, obviously, they lost their vision, but they're not bitter. They're just still happy to have a doctor that's taking care of them. So I have very grateful, happy, I shouldn't say overall happy about their vision, but just grateful patients, and they're always the nicest people. What is the least favorite thing about your job? Um, I think seeing people losing their vision. It's hard. It's hard when you know somebody and they're trying and you're trying everything you can and they glaucoma still takes away their vision or not even just a retinal detachment happens or there's so many things that can happen to the eye. You can have this thing called a central retinal vein occlusion that's more common to happen if you have glaucoma that takes away your vision. So that's the hard part is seeing people losing their vision. But I think the good thing about if there is a good thing about vision loss is there are services after that that can help them adjust in. Yeah, there is. There's continued daily activity. Yeah, and one services that that I really like a lot in the city's Lighthouse for the Blind. Um, it does help a lot with patients, especially people that are newly vision loss. Um, it helps them learn how to navigate the world now with the vision that they have and their support groups there. And the support groups, I think, is actually probably the biggest thing because they'll find that they're not the only ones in this situation. The other thing I should say that's also gratifying about being an ophthalmologist is when you do cataract surgery because those people a lot of times will instantly see better and they're just the happiest people. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, like putting on a new pair of glasses, glasses you yeah. can see, whoa, I can see everything. Yeah, so, a lot of times they're like, I just never even noticed how dirty my house was. <laughs> right, exactly. Tell me, um, is there anything else you want to mention in this uh 
interview here that we hadn't touched on? So I would say the biggest thing is, is we touched on this actually, is getting your eyes screened. Um, the amount of people that I see that come in with end-stage glaucoma and they're like late 50s, early 60s, or even mid 50s who just, if they would have started getting their eyes checked in their 40s, could have been caught it's really sad. So just getting your eyes screened, especially if there's a family history of anything, but at 40, just going and getting your eyes screened. So if we know we still have family, uh, living parents, grandparents, you know, ask them about the family history of eyes. And yeah. that way you're, you're aware that, oh, I might need to get an eye check just in case. Yeah. Especially asking about family history of macular degeneration and glaucoma. Um, I mean, I know you have retinitis pigmentosis. Mm -hmm. That also can be genetically passed on. That's not as common as those other diseases, though. But um, And retinitis pigmentosis, as Carl knows, is a degeneration of your rod cones. And it usually affects your peripheral vision. And that's how... And it does affect your central vision. But it can be passed on any genetic way. It can be autosomal recessive, dominant, X-linked, sporadic. It's every way possible passed on. But there is some family component to it. Yeah. Um, in the final couple of minutes, we have uh, four quick questions. One, what is your favorite movie and why? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have probably so many favorite movies. Um, I guess the one coming to the top of my head is Pulp Fiction. Okay. Yeah, I like that one a oh, lot. Oh, yeah, that's a good, good one. one. Yeah. What's your favorite genre of music or artist? Oh, my favorite genre of music is actually rock music. Okay. I really enjoy awesome. listening to rock music. Well, see, I'm older than you, so I like the 70s and 80s classic rock, more of the... Old time rock. So yeah. I like the '90s okay. alternative okay. rock. Yes, yeah. so you're much younger <laughs> than I. Am. Um, what do What do you do to relax? What do you do when you're not working? You just want to wind down. What's your relaxation? So I like going on runs, um, and I like working out. That's probably and then reading books. I know that sounds so cliche to sit down and read a book, but yeah, um, relaxing. I actually do like working out a lot, um, and I really enjoy running. Actually, I started running when I was in residency to kind of deal with the stress of learning how to operate in an eye, and I just enjoy running. It's probably one of the more relaxing things for me because you're in by yourself. Sure. And what's on your bucket list? What is something you haven't done yet or you still want to do or go? Oh, I really would love to go on a safari one day. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so one more time, let's give your contact information. Again, I know I forgot I was so involved in what you were talking about. We didn't do it in the middle. So um, it's I work with New Orleans Eye Specialists. Um, they're, they have a location at 3434 Britannia. The number there is 504-891-1988. And then the other location is 3901 Homo Boulevard. And that number is 504-454-0158. And it's New Orleans Eye Specialists. And it's Lena Audigeli. Thank you, Dr. Lena, for coming and, and informing uh, the listeners on all this information. It's great. I was fascinated <laughs> about it and, and even learned a couple of more things that I'm, I'm happy to uh, know about and and hopefully this helps uh, some listeners out there so thank you very much no problem i hope it helps thank you you've been listening to wrbh reading radio for the blind i am carla redondo thank you for listening